On this episode of the St. Philip Institute podcast, we're going to talk about Superman. I'm going to be talking about theological reasons why the Superman story has been so captivating for me, and I hope that you join us. If you work with young people or if you have children and you don't know much about Superman, I think that this is a good episode for you, give you some tools to maybe share the gospel in a different way. Um, And if you are a Superman fan but you don't know the theology behind it, I encourage you to listen to this episode and check it out. Thanks. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Eternal Father, you called St. Philip the Evangelist to open his mouth and begin with Scripture, tell the good news of Jesus Christ. By virtue of our baptism, we too are called to work for the salvation of souls. Instill in our hearts the zeal of St. Philip, that we may convert hearts and minds to your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns forever and ever, Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hi, my name is Luke Arredondo, and I'm the Director of Faith Formation at the St. Philip Institute, and I'll welcome you to our podcast. If you are listening to this on the audio version, you are missing such a feast right now of Superman action figures and other Superman objects because... I'm going to be talking today about why I love Superman um, and the Catholic sort of theological lens of looking at the Superman story. So I cannot even explain to you how excited I am that I'm going to get to do this. Um, I have... I guess been preparing for this moment since I was about four years old, and I am super, super excited to be talking about Superman. Um, so the, the the genesis for this episode is really that there is a new Superman show airing right now on the CW. It is um, available in their app for free. You can watch episodes. There are commercials in there, and some of them aren't the greatest um, if you've got children, Uh, but the show has just really reignited my passion for Superman, and I just keep talking about it all the time over here at the Institute, and they finally said, why don't you just um, do a podcast about Superman? So I said, are you kidding me? I have literally been preparing for this for 30 years. So uh, (laughs) why do I love Superman? Why do I love it so much? And I'm not alone. I know lots of Catholic um, people who are interested in theology, especially who really just like eat up anything Superman related. Um, There are several reasons, and I kind of want to walk through in this first part of the episode the main things that have drawn me and I think draw other people to Superman um, sort of in a broad way, then I want to talk about the source material, like where it came from and some of the ideas behind the creation of the comic book. Um, I haven't read a lot of the comic books, but I've, I've actually read books about the creation of the, the, the character. So we'll talk about that. And then I want to get to some theological um, connections, the ways in which the Superman story, if you have a background in theology, is just so rich um, for maybe evangelizing, especially young people. I find it to be a really great way, for instance, to help me when I'm talking with my daughters um, about the life of Jesus, uh, because they know the Superman story, I'm ashamed to say, probably better than they know um, the biblical narrative at this point. They're all pretty young. I can do a lot to kind of tie those together. So we'll talk about um, the the inspiration, like why, why I love the show so much, the source material, and the theological stuff. So first, one of the things that I think 
help Superman endure as a symbol. Um, there's been so many different versions of Superman, right? There's the comic book. There was radio, television shows as, as far back as in the 50s. Uh, and then there's been various incarnations of, oh, did I just use the word incarnation when I'm talking about Superman? Yes, I did. Will that come back again later? Yes, foreshadowing. There's been different incarnations of Superman in movies uh, and and different TV shows. Uh, there was one um, one in the 90s when I was a kid. Uh, it ran for four years. Uh, there was Smallville. It ran for like nine or ten years. And now there's this new show airing on CW. So it's been really permanent fixture in American culture. Um, and not just American culture, but in a particular way, it's really caught on in America. What's allowed it, um, Superman, to... to kind of still be present for all of these decades is the fact that there are some really fundamental values that are involved in the Superman story that have endured. Um, even as society has changed, there are some things that, that Superman has always stood for that really we can still hold on to um, and people want to see. And and one of those is the, the moral clarity for Superman. So there are some heroes where um, even though we think of them as heroic, they are willing at times to bend the rules, um, to sort of change their moral code, and accomplish the goal that they're trying to accomplish, maybe by means they wouldn't ordinarily want to use, right? So they may be willing to lie or collude or even maybe murder someone. Um, we've even seen, you know, at various points, it's not just recently. I mean, this is sort of a cycle that cinema goes through and, and you know, um, different heroes become more popular in different eras. There's something called an anti-hero. Um, and Nick, who is our studio engineer listening to this, is probably going to hate my version of film history here because he knows it much better than me. But there are basically are cycles in cinema where sort of bad guys that are kind of correcting moral wrongs uh, but using their own sort of lawless methods catch on, right? This this happened in the late 70s. In, in the 70s, the anti-hero was very popular. And then out of that, we got a new nostalgia to have moral clarity where our good guys are good guys and our bad guys are bad guys. Right now, like at this moment, Suicide Squad is really uh, something that that at least <laughs> Time Warner's trying to get to catch on. It's not, not really worked very well in this, this incarnation of, of the film. Uh, but Suicide Squad is all sort of bad characters kind of doing some sort of good things, right? But it, there's some ambiguity in it big time. What's really great about Superman, one of the reasons that I that I have loved um, following um, different versions of Superman for, for my whole life is he's a good guy. He does what is right no matter what. And that even is going to involve at times him having to recognize that there's some somebody he's not going to be able to defeat or maybe some problem that he can't solve, or some problem that he doesn't know how he's going to solve yet because he's not willing to sacrifice justice in order to meet the goals that he's trying to meet. So justice, or what is right, really motivates Superman more than power. Um, one of my favorite authors, uh, philosopher Peter Kreeft, expresses this by saying that we see right, not might. So truth and justice are what Superman is going to hold to even when there's evil and he could stop it merely by exerting power. So for instance, like to kill somebody, um, but he won't do that. 
there's always these moments of um, difficulty for Superman. I mean, you see, you know, Superman is faster than a speeding, faster than a locomotive, um, faster than a speeding bullet, uh, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap small, um, tall buildings in a single bound, right? He is super. I mean, he can do almost anything. So one of the critiques sometimes is how could it be interesting to watch the Superman story unfold if nothing can hurt him except for kryptonite, right? Well, what happens often and what keeps the story interesting, and they've, this is something that's happened increasingly better and better in the last 10 and f- or, or 15 years or so, is you see Superman get into situations where if he were willing to violate justice, he could easily solve a problem. But because he will not do that, because he is committed to the right thing, he has to get creative and find some all the other alternative way to rectify whatever the moral evil is. So, yeah, he is supremely powerful, right? But he's not willing to abuse that power in a way that is going to offend justice, even if it's in the pursuit of some good aim, like punishing a, an enemy or, you know, uh, well, I mean, that's, that's basically the, the thing that Superman wants to do is make sure that people who are doing evil are prevented. And I think the reason why that clarity of right and wrong and justice, right, not might, runs so strongly through the Superman ethos is because of the source material, right? So Superman was created by uh, Siegel and Schuster. They they were teenagers um, who were just fascinated with comics and uh, read comic books all the time, and they were interested in creating their own characters. And um, they actually created a whole bunch of characters um you know these are like 18 year old kids and they're they're just staying up at late at night actually one of them their vision went bad from doing all this uh sketching and drawing kind of by in poor light uh as they were growing up in the early 19 um i don't know 1920s or something like that very very early in the 1900s they they sent off very boldly right copies of new comic books featuring new characters to uh, comic book publishing companies, um, just one after the other. Like, they never tired of trying to create a, a superhero figure in particular was something that really caught their imagination that some comic book publisher would be willing to say, yeah, we'll buy that, we'll, we'll purchase that, and we'll run that. Well, they finally hit on this idea of Superman. And when you read about uh, Siegel and Schuster creating Superman, one of the things that you learn is that they were both Jewish, um, and they so they have a very sort of biblical um, view of the world. They have a good sense of the Jewish story. So the Old Testament is something that they knew very well. And so when you talk about Superman, you know, he is from another planet far, far away. You know, he's from Krypton. He's sent away from his home planet, so sent away from his father, very, very far to travel to Earth. And he arrives at Earth with a mission. And we'll talk about what his mission is in in a little bit. But he's sent by his father way to another world, lands on the earth, and then is adopted by uh, human parents, right? This should have a certain sort of resonance with people that know the Bible. And as Jewish um, authors, Jewish comic book writers, they were largely influenced by the story of Moses. So you can see the story of Moses being born, sent away down the river in, you know, a little cont- a, a little um, sort of makeshift basket that floats down the river. 
when you look at the origin of Superman, him being sent in a capsule that flows, you know, through space and lands on the Earth, and then he is adopted by by two good parents. There's a lot of similarities with the Moses theme, right? Moses also is the great liberator of the people of Israel. Superman is going to help slowly liberate people, liberate human beings, the earth, from some of our attachments to, especially to power and to evil and to really pursue justice, right? So there's a very broad connection there, but there's also certainly a way in which it's a, it's a Christocentric kind of theme. Jesus is a, a, um, a type, or, mo, or Superman is a type of Jesus, right? And that he's sent from his father in another world like heaven down to the earth, he is adopted, right? Of course, in the Christian story, Jesus is not merely adopted. He's born, but, uh, you know, Siegel and Schuster did not do that um, in their telling of, of Superman's coming to Earth. But in the original drafts, um, his parents' names were Mary and Joseph. And uh, the the editors uh, at the company that, you know, would, would purchase the, the comic said, what? You know, Mary and Joseph, and you got this son sent away by his father to the earth. Maybe that's a little bit obvious. Let's let's change those names. And so they wound up with Martha and Jonathan. Still M and J, Martha and Jonathan Kent. Um, so I I think that a large part of the moral clarity, this emphasis on justice, comes from the imagination of the Jewish creators, right? Who who knew God as a just and righteous God, and who would see in a character like Moses or like Superman someone really to, to, to look up to, and, and not just someone who gets things done, but who we can model even if we don't have that power. We can pursue justice and righteousness even if we're not more powerful than a locomotive or, uh, you know, able to leap small, uh, tall buildings in, in a single bound. So, one of the things that, that, that we see when we start thinking about the source material is, as I said, the theological connections is probably I would love Superman almost this much, even if I didn't have interest in and, you know, background in theology. But as my background in theology has continued to grow, I, I've just come to love the Superman story even more and more. So I mentioned earlier incarnation. There's various incarnations of Superman. And I have some here lined up in front of me for those of you watching the video version, which you can watch by following us on YouTube. You want to make sure you you like our page and follow us and click the bell so that you get to see these awesome videos when they come out. So uh, this is a toy that I received when I was about three years old. I actually have two of them, the other ones at my house. I was getting ready to do this show today, and my girls brought me the other one because I said, don't forget your Superman, and then they saw I already had this one uh, in my hand. Uh, this was a DC action figure from when I was about five or six. This is something that belonged to one of my kids. This is my brothers from when these two were my brothers when I was uh, about seven or eight, and I, uh, or I guess I was about nine or ten. I hung on to them after he lost interest in them. I'm not sure where this one came from, um, but anyways, there's different versions of Superman, right? There's the comic books, the radio, TV series, different TV series, different movies, all that. In each of them, though, the central element that, that, that can make the story interesting when it's done well, and it's not always been done equally well, is this relationship of Clark Kent and Kal-El, or Clark Kent and Superman. Kal-El is his Kryptonian name, another Jewish connection. El in Hebrew means God, right? So... His last name is literally God in Hebrew or, or Kryptonian, whichever way you want to think of it. But he has this dual identity. 
And there really is a, a, a debate, I think you could say, about uh, who is he? Is he actually Clark, right, the person that was raised by his parents? Did, did Martha and Jonathan Kent form their son, in, their adopted son, in such a way that who he is is Clark Kent? And Superman is like this alternate ego that he puts on. In the show from the 1990s on television, that's kind of how they portray it, that Superman is who he chooses to become, but who he is 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 Clark, even though who he is has powers and all that stuff, and he's from Krypton. They they treat his, his superhero identity as someone that's kind of like, that's the fake person, the real person is Clark. But this is the fascinating thing with Superman is that he's both an ordinary, mild-mannered reporter and able to fly and withstand almost any, um, you know, weapons that you could throw at him, like he's impervious to pain and suffering. At the same time, that is such a helpful way if you want to try and teach somebody about the incarnation. And of course, it's a limited analogy, okay? I have been trained well by my professors. Any analogy has more dissimilarity than it does similarity. But still, the analogy of Jesus being both human and divine at the same time, you can get close to understanding that by talking about the the, the battle between sort of Clark and Kyle L. Now, just make sure I'm not a heretic. Superman, I mean, sorry, Jesus really is human and divine, and he is completely both, and he is he has a human nature and a divine nature that are united in one person without division, but with unity, all right, and cooperation between those two natures, right? So get that clear. Jesus is human and he is divine. He assumes a human nature, and he has both human natures and divine nature united in one person. Superman, Kal-El, Clark, it's not quite the same. We can't really say that he is 100% human because he is, in fact, an alien, right? And he's got powers and things that, that human beings don't have, although he adopts a sort of human persona. So my read on Superman is really he's Kal-El, really he's the powerful being, and that's truly who he is. And he adopts a human persona to sort of fit in and to, in some way, shield those that he loves from being in danger because they nobody really knows who he is somehow with these glasses and hunching over and talking in a more nerdy voice, he fools people and you don't know who he in fact is, right? So that that wrestling be even between the, you know, Kalel and Clark, it's imperfect. It's not a direct analogy of the way Jesus Christ has a human and divine nature, but it's fascinating because there are moments where he needs to maintain either his identity as Superman and not reveal that, hey, Lois, you know the reporter that you work with and you make fun of him all the time, um, but you're in love with me, Superman? Like, we're the same person. There's times when he can't reveal as Superman that he's also got this human identity. And there are a lot of other times where he's trying to maintain his human identity and he doesn't have an easy way of doing something super powerful. One of my favorite uh, ways that you see this is um, in Smallville, Clark has powers and he tells one of his friends, uh, Pete, that, you know, I, I, I've got powers and they are going to go to uh, watch a football game in a town over a few hours and they, the traffic is really bad and they get back faster than anybody expected and Pete says, oh yeah, well Clark just, just ran with us, like he just carried us. And you have this image that what Clark would have to do to maintain his, his, his cover is get in his truck, drive out of town. Once he got beyond the city boundaries or the you know the town's boundaries, 
pick the truck up and run with it to get close to Metropolis and then get back in it and drive um, because he just didn't he, he couldn't just run there and in mysteriously be a, you know, in Metropolis without uh, a vehicle. Um, there, and there's many many other examples um, from the different Superman shows. This battle between showing who he really is, whether it's I'm Clark and I really want to tell someone I'm Superman, or I'm Superman and I want to mostly convince Lois that you know Clark is the same guy, uh, we're the same guy. So the incarnation is this one theological idea that is so captivating for me when I when I think about um, why is the Superman story just just draws me in so much. And another one is, and that, I didn't learn this one until uh, I was in graduate school actually, is the way that the Fortress of Solitude functions in a similar way to the Jewish temple, okay? So if you don't have a, a theology of the temple, um, the, the, the Jewish theology of the temple is that the temple was a microcosm of the world. So the temple is the world in miniature, and the world is a macrocosm of the temple. The world is a big version of the temple. So there's this relationship between the world and the temple, Jesus, I'm sorry, Moses in uh, the book of Exodus also enters into a vision of heaven, and then right after his vision of heaven, he gives the detailed plan for the structure of the building of the temple. So there's also a way in which the temple represents the vision of what heaven is like. And so all these are wrapped up together in a, a really interesting way that when you would go into the temple— in a very real way, you would feel like you're entering heaven, right? You're entering the place where Moses saw. And the decoration of the temple included, you know, blues and sky colors and stars and uh, not stars, but but metal ornaments of various sorts that were meant to look like the stars. Very, very, very powerful way of saying that this is like you're entering into heaven. When I When I read an entire book about the theology of the temple, I couldn't stop thinking about the Fortress of Solitude, because if you know Superman, he goes and he's got his Fortress of Solitude, but what is the fortress? It's the place that looks like the world he's from. It looks like Krypton. It looks exactly like Krypton. It's formed um, with the sort of icy, jagged structure that characterizes his planet where he's truly from. So it reminds him of his true origin and... It is a place for him to be in communion with his father. So there's always like this really cool interactive hologram where Kal-El can talk to his dad, and, and it's not just like recordings of his dad. Like it really can answer questions, and um, so it's like a, it's like a hologram version of Siri. He can have conversations with it though, and he goes there when he needs to reaffirm his identity, when he needs to remember who he is, when he needs to talk to his father and get advice from his father. And he does this in the context of entering into a place that looks like where he's from. That's what the temple was for the Jews. It it, it reminds them of where they're going, of, of heaven, um, at the same time as which as as it makes itself a miniature of the entire world. So that's why there's there's plants and there's a three different different um, uh, three different sections of the temple that are that are open to different levels of people. There's this close relationship between heaven and the temple, between the temple and earth, that's really, really cool. And the the Fortress of Solitude functions for Superman in a very similar way. Um, you see this uh, time and time again. In the new show, 
there's a, a few particular things that have really just I, I I just can't I can't express how excited I am and how how amazing I think this show is. And there I will try I will not spoil the entire show, but I, I will spoil one thing that you'd see in the preview if you ever even watched the preview for it, okay? And that's it. In this show, Superman and Lois, they're married. And the, the show is called Superman and Lois. They're married, they have twin sons, and they're teenagers. So what we've never seen, we being Superman fans, we've never really seen Superman as a father. We've never seen him have to deal with raising children. And as a father myself, seeing this character that I have beloved for so, you know, for so many years struggle with raising children has just really been so neat for me to, to imagine and to think about. I mean, really think of it this way. You're Superman. You can fly. You can, you know, uh, see through things. You can hear anything. You can basically, you can't hurt you. You know, you're impervious to pain. But you have teenagers and you've got to convince them that it's time to go to school. How do you get them to do that, right? They've got their free will and you have all this power but there's nothing you can do to make them do what you want to. In the 1978 film, um, Superman the Movie, the tagline, you'll believe a man can fly. And I did believe a man could fly when I saw that movie. Um, sometimes I still do. I think maybe I could fly one day. Anyways, in that movie, you have Superman at his father's funeral, which is always a part of the telling of the story that his, that his father dies. And he says, all those things I could do, all those powers... And I couldn't even save him. All those things I could do, all those powers, and I couldn't even save him. What this new show, Superman and Lois, is doing is it's it's extending beyond that. Like, yeah, he couldn't save his father. But he also can't really make his teenage sons like him. He can't make them be happy. And and it and it's not just like he can't make them be happy about like doing their chores. Like one of the sons has pretty serious social anxiety he can't make his son just be comfortable in his own skin and it's this rich dynamic of i'm the most powerful man i mean i'm the most powerful being on the world and i can't like i can't fix all my children's problems and it really cast this show cast superman in a in a light where you see the humility involved in even superman and it's really cool. Again, this is an analogy that bears more dissimilarity than similarity, but there's something like this in, in, in the life of Jesus in that he came with a very clear mission to redeem us, right? To reveal the Father's love to us, to be an example for us, um, to call us to holiness. But he didn't come to fix everybody's problem or to fix every problem. He heals some people. He heals a lot of people. But he didn't heal everyone. He didn't cure every illness. He couldn't do that in a sense that that wouldn't have really fixed everything, right? Could Jesus literally have gone around and cured everybody? Yes, of course, he had that power. But that's not exactly what he came for, right? He came to, to save us, but there is still going to be suffering and that's in some mysterious way part of the divine plan, right? You see this. You see this in the scriptures that, or in the catechism, this 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 understanding that the miracles that Jesus did weren't the purpose that he came for. He came for a bigger purpose to save us, to give us an example for holiness, to reveal the Father's love to us. But he didn't come to make our lives perfect. 
He didn't come to make our lives always happy. You see this really clearly in this Superman and Lois that, I mean, Superman has all these powers, all these things he could do, and he can save some people. He can fix some problems, but he can't fix everything. He can't override free will. So a big part of this show, this, this new Superman and Lois show on the CW, is the is theodicy, the question of free will, of like what are the limits that Superman has to deal with because of people's free will. So there's a family dynamic angle to it, certainly, but there's also the the, the, the classical question of evil, of, of why could God allow you know evil in the world? So some of the enemies that he has to deal with are using their powers of whatever sort they have to exert their own view of what um, justice might look like. And Superman can't get them to think it's wrong, right? He can fight with them and sometimes he'll defeat them and usually he will because the show's got to go on. He's not going to, you know, you know he's not going to lose, but it's always interesting in figuring out how he's going to win the battle. But he can't really change the thing that matters, namely to get those enemies of whoever they are, right, Lex Luthor uh, or whoever else, he can't change their hearts because they have free will. What I've been fascinated by the most about this new show, though, Superman and Lois, is the question of identity. So this is a mild spoiler, so if you, if you, if you don't want it to hear it, we'll you know, fast forward a few minutes. Um, but it, it, it is a mild spoiler. There is a, a point in this first season of the show, it's just, it's just started, it's you know, episode 12, I think, is when this happens, where Superman is being, there, there is a, an enemy who is trying to give Superman a new identity to implant with Kryptonian technology a dead person from Krypton and make his personality overtake Superman's body like a host. And Superman is struggling. It's, it is one of the most powerful evil leaders from Krypton whose brain or personality has been implanted into Superman, but his body has to accept it, right? So it's not an automatic process. And the host has to either accept it or be conquered by the new personality. So there's this wrestling where Superman is trying to basically fight off the temptation to lose his personality, to lose his sense of identity, and become a wicked, evil, powerful person bent on destruction. And the way that they, uh, the producers of the show character or, or show us the struggle and the temptation is that Superman's eyes begin to turn red like he's going to shoot the lasers out of his eyes, right? He's going to shoot shoot his lasers off. Um, and he has to close his eyes and wrestle and struggle to not let that happen, to maintain an awareness of who he is and to not become this evil person that's trying to take over him. It is so beautiful the way that they set this up. His victory over this temptation is not merely just white-knuckling it and using the power of his body, right? He's got a lot of physical power. This is moral power spiritual power that he's got to use to fight this temptation to lose his identity and to be overtaken. And the way that he does it is he remembers who he is. He remembers his identity. So he thinks back on 
the lessons Jarrell, his father from Krypton, taught him about leading the people on Earth, about being a champion for them, about serving them. He remembers the love that he has for his wife, Lois, the way that they've sacrificed so much toward each other and for one another to become a couple, to start a family, and to build their lives together. He remembers his sons. He remembers playing with them, teaching them, instructing them, guiding them as they go through some of their life's challenges. He remembers all of these things. He reflects back, and time and time again, as I was watching this, all I could think is, this is John Paul II. This is what John Paul II tried to tell us, right? That we as Christians, we as Catholics, we need to know who we are so that we can live the kind of life that we're called to. And who we are, he always said, we're not the sum of our failures. We are the sum of the Father's love for us. Ultimately, that's who we are. And in this in, in this Lois, Superman and Lois show, you see how Kal-El, Superman, has been shaped by his father to know goodness and justice and truth and to live in that realm. Meanwhile, his enemy's father has shaped him by inflicting pain and suffering on him, telling him once you can accept pain without it hurting you, then you can conquer others. And they're, of course, clashing over their identity about who they're supposed to be. And Superman is able to survive the temptation. I won't tell you exactly how it happens because although the theological juiciness of it is just incredible, I want you to, I want you to see it. I love this show so much. So the identity, who is he? Who is Superman? What is he here for? His mission is very, very critical. And you see this um, in the 1978 films, which is my favorite of, of all of the portrayals, all of the incarnations of Superman, um, is the 1978 film where Marlon Brando portrays Jor-El, his father. Uh, and I love it. He's, he, he says Krypton, Krypton instead of Krypton, and they, they couldn't get him to pronounce it the right way. So he is preparing in this film to send his son to the earth, right, to, to save him from the destruction of, of Krypton, of Krypton. And he says this, You will travel far, my little Kal-El, but we will never leave you. Even, the, even in the face of our deaths, the richness of our lives shall be yours. All that I have, all that I've learned, everything I feel, all this and more, I bequeath you, my son. And as he says this, he's reaching out and placing his hands on the, on the head of his, his baby Kal-El. And it's, it looks so much to me like a baptism or like a, like a blessing. He says, you will carry me inside you all the days of your life. You will make my strength your own. And see my life through your eyes, as your life will be seen through mine. And then here's the line that just kills me. The son becomes the father, and the father the son. This is all I can send you, Kalel. There's this rich unity of father and son, just like, I mean, it's, I want to say just like, there's an analogy, there's more dissimilarity than similarity, and if you get tired of me saying that, I'm sorry, it's been drilled into me too too well in grad school. Blame Brant Petrie, okay? There's this similarity between this relationship of father and son, you know, the son becomes a father and the father the son. It's very much like John 17, the prayer where Jesus says that father I want them, the the followers, to be one, even as you and I are one, right? This union between Father and the Son and the Trinity. 
Very, very similar sort of language being used here in the Superman story. Uh, and then later, when Kal-El is older and he's he's gone to the Fortress of Solitude, which is the the reminder of his homeland and the place where he can commune with his father, just like the father was present in the temple, right, in the Old Testament. God was present there in the Holy of Holies. And he's telling him about what he needs to do. And he says, Live as one of them, Kal-El, to discover where your strength and your power are needed. Always hold in your heart the pride of your special heritage. And then this line. And to hear Marlon Brando say it, I mean, gosh. They can be a great people, Kal-El. They wish to be. They only lack the light to show the way. For this reason, above all, their capacity for good, I have sent them you, my only son. And every time I hear that, because I'm a theology nerd, I think of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And I'll confess, sometimes I have to Google what paragraph it is, but it's paragraph 459. This is one of the, there's, there's a, a listing of reasons why Christ became man. And one of them is this, the word became flesh to be our model of holiness. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. On the mountain of the transfiguration, the Father commands, listen to him. Jesus is the model for the Beatitudes and the norm for the new law. Love one another as I have loved you. This love implies an effective offering of oneself after his example. And there's so much more I wish I could say about Superman, um, but, you know, it would really be just an insane amount of time. So I have I have promised myself I'm not going to keep you all too long. If you've even listened this far, that's incredible. Way to go. Um, so, yeah, again, the Superman mythos, the Superman character, his, the different incarnations we see throughout the ages, or on this table if you're watching on YouTube, if you're listening on Spotify or Apple, what is it called? I Apple Podcasts. <laughs> Consider also subscribing to our YouTube channel because sometimes we have bonuses for you to see that you can't see in the audio version. The different incarnations of Superman across time, from the comic books to the radio show to the TV in the 50s, movies in the 70s, TV in the 90s, movies again, and now TV again, right? Show some of these really fundamental concerns about justice, truth, identity, the purpose of a good father, the way that a father can form a son in his own image if he does it, if he you know commits himself to it, and the, the, the way that a son has to cooperate with that process too, right? Questions of free will, um, the 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 limits of power. Uh, again, all those things I could do, all those powers, and I couldn't even save him, right? Even Superman had limits, right? Jesus doesn't have limits, but Jesus limits himself in that he won't necessarily make all of our sufferings and problems go away, even while he is redeeming us. He is saving us, is giving us a model of holiness, is revealing the Father's love to us. But sometimes that revelation is going to come through some of our sufferings. Um, and and you can see this in, in different sorts of ways uh, in the Superman story. So there's, again, more I wish I could say, but this is this is has been why I love Superman, and uh, I hope that uh, you will take take some of these ideas and uh, maybe use them in, you know, teaching a youth group lesson or talking to your kids or something, and, you know, not just be inspired to go watch Superman, although I'm sure you probably will. Thanks.